Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, a podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you once again from the Wally Ballou Auditorium here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today, we're taking a new look at an old problem, female figurines from the Iron Age Southern Levant. At a time when Egyptian and Mesopotamian art is depicting men, women, and children doing all sorts of things, art in the Southern Levant appears strangely devoted to women in various stages of undress. Are these goddesses? instructional devices, or something else that the mostly male profession of biblical archaeology was, for many decades, simply unable to grasp. This frank but family-friendly discussion also asks, why aren't there figurines of men? Okay, so so I think I've come up with um, the most controversial lightning round uh, to date. Ooh. Um, All right. Okay. What experience is more painful than childbirth? (laughs) (laughs) There is only one correct answer. Uh, There is none. That's correct. Nope. 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 Well, we actually have been discussing this quite a bit, the three of us. I, I think the only acceptable answer is, is there is none. <laughs> as, as, the, as the only one of the three of us. <laughs> was uh, pulling, the, pulling the old childbirth card, already. <laughs> the, the correct answer is um, watching the New York Yankees these days. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Watching the 2021 New York Yankees. 2021 New York Yankees. That is, that is the, the only experience that's more painful than childbirth. Now, it may be that maybe the people disagree. Perhaps our listener will disagree. Perhaps our listener is, is stuck in traffic somewhere, <laughs> possibly in a foreign city with, with children strapped into, into a car seat in, in the back. And that person, the listener is going, what the what? But I, I, I object to lightning rounds having correct or incorrect answers. Ooh. Yeah. I don't object to the concept of the Yankees being more painful than childbirth, but I do think that lightning rounds should be should be free for all. Free for all? Yeah. I don't know. You had your chance. <laughs> and you, you stated your ground on, on the part of your of your people. Yeah, and I stick the to my birthing, answer. The birthing people. Yeah. But uh <laughs> Well, okay, so, so, the, so let's reframe and, <laughs> and, take it, and take a step back and, and ask, 
first of all, are there are there no depictions of childbirth in the Iron Age of the Levant? And if so, why not? <laughs> if not, why not? <laughs> well, um, I think I bef before before you try to answer that question, I'll just throw in there that that childbirth is a moment in a longer fertility cycle that uh, can be depicted. Other stages of it can be depicted. That's very true, and but. I have to I have to say that in order to keep our clean rating yes. on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> here we have to we have to move into the realm of of euphemism and and metaphor rather than more concrete description. I wasn't even thinking of that, by the way. <laughs> and now I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> Well, I, I will point out that um, that there is now this is from the Persian period. There is a there is a figurine uh, depicting a woman sitting on a, on a low bench, giving birth. How do I know this? You ask. <laughs> it was published in the Festschrift for Yigal Gadin by Ephraim Stern, and if you if you look carefully at the picture. You can see right in the center of this woman is a pick mark. And that's where I put my pick right through her. <laughs> around, around the second week of my first season excavating at Teldor back in 1980 um, in this uh, Favisa. Wow. Smashing this, this apparently unique figurine into, into bits. So Good work. So you really left your mark on um, on this particular topic du jour. I did, I did in a unique in a unique way. And for many years, when I would go to the Israel Museum, and sometimes we would take the kids and we'd go to the ex exhibition case, and I'd show, show them, see that figurine. Your father smashed that figurine. <laughs> so, and and is everyone assured that it was put back correctly? <laughs> So <laughs> can change the nature of history. Exactly. Exactly. This whole interpretive paradigm can be reassessed because, in fact, she was standing, not sitting. Or <laughs> she was actually ironing than giving birth. I don't know. I, I wouldn't take that away from her. So this is really the only the only figurine giving birth from the entirety of the Southern Levant. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's Persian, and it's so it's not Iron Age qua Iron Age. Right. I didn't but, say Iron Age. I just said Southern Levant. Yeah, but uh, why not? Why, why not? This it's a it's a part of life. At what point do we expand the conversation to talk about fertility figurines more generally? Or am I jumping ahead? I don't think you're jumping ahead. And I think that's a real, that's a real central issue to any discussion of figurines is, is that female figurines are always fertility figurines right. or interpreted that way. And when they're not interpreted that way, they end up ultimately being interpreted that way. <laughs> By the end of the article, there's something saying, yes, it has to do with, it has to do with fertility. Just right. like all strange things, have to do with cult, all female figurines 
have to do with fertility. And I think that, um, I think that's probably right because look at our own society. I mean, there are so many totems and verbal aphorisms and everything else that have to do with ensuring fertility and safe fertility and successful fertility that uh, I can't imagine that it would be less emphasized in the ancient world in yeah. which fertility and birth were were major were major events yeah and also you know deep existential events the continuation of the of the band the continuation of the group very continuation true of the entity very true and also life and death events right yeah for yeah. both for both mother and and baby potentially yeah well, definitely a life event for the baby but potentially a death event for for both of them um, right yeah and then the other big debate in fertility figurine circles is do they represent goddesses or do they represent human women? That's always been, been my favorite part right. of the debate. And, and, is the, and, and that divide, is that divide artificial? Or, you know, hmm. do people think of these in, at the time at least, did people not make these kinds of distinctions in a very, very narrow and rigid way? But were they sort of more open-ended? <clears throat> um, was the miracle of birth seen as something divine where a woman and the baby become, you know, superhuman for, for this part of their lives? That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. It seemed to be a major motion picture. <laughs> well, this is one of the things that always bothered me about, um, again, in the study of figurines generally, is that anytime a figurine has a, fu a funky Egyptian hairdo, right. it's automatically, oh, this is the goddess Hathor. Right. Or this is the, you know, some other character, as if, as if people didn't have fancy hairdos kind of independently, or that they didn't represent something less than this merging of, of attributes and... Uh, or, or suppose there was like a lot of role play, like, hey, sweetie, would you put on your Hawthorne wig tonight? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, only if, you're, only if you'll put on your, you know, your leopard, leopard tail kilt. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, just because some figurines may or may not be the goddess Hathor doesn't mean that all figurines are divine. You can have different categories, different types, different different wigs. Well, maybe this is a good place to talk about the different types. If we don't have a very large corpus of birthing figurines, what what do we have in the Iron Age in, of the Levant in particular? In the Iron Age, and we can go back to the Bronze Age. Can't we go back to the Bronze Age? Please let us go back to the Bronze Age. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you ask. <laughs> I'd, I'd go back to the Neolithic as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's where you have some, you've got some action. Oh, yeah. and didn't the three of us write once upon a time, write an article about a calcolithic figurine? We did. We did. <laughs> we did. Yeah, she was birth though, but she was a little bit on the exposed side. Right. <laughs> well, those calcolithic people, you know, before there were a lot of rules and regulations in society, <laughs> they, they felt more free. 
That's true. They're, they're a bunch of natural men and women. They let it all hang out. <laughs> Mr. Natural, Mr. and Mrs. Natural. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> trekking down the Wadi Gaza. <laughs> right. And um, I guess I guess there that would okay. So a couple of things. Just I'll I'll throw them out. Um, one is the analysis of figurines is um, extraordinarily important because we have so many figurines from all of these time periods, and they're very powerful and evocative. And there, even though there are a lot of them, each time we find one, it's an unusual kind of an event. It's a big event at the time in the excavation process. That's it true. becomes enshrined by putting them on t-shirts, which is, you know, the sort of the 20th and 21st century totem of archaeology. If the dig doesn't have a t-shirt, did the dig actually take place? And, <laughs> and, and figurines are always, um, <laughs> you know, they're always promoted on, uh, by archaeological excavations in their little icons, on their web pages, in all of these kinds of ways, in social media, and so the discovery of figurines is a very important part of the archaeological process. It is a part of the process in which we can sort of get to the level of cognition of the ancient mind, like what are they thinking? Because there's no, because the analysis is so open-ended, because the typologies are so either overly simplistic or ridiculously complex. And, and they're all so highly interpretive. And they're all so, I would say, based on presentism, though I don't think everyone right. would agree. So much of it is, is projecting our own exactly. interests and obsessions and... Uh, right. You know. that, that was a great meta-analysis, though. I never really thought that through, the, the, the fact that, yeah, they, these are great archaeological events and they get the second life on T-shirts um, in our That's society. the way the goddesses intended. Exactly, exactly. Right. right. We're promoting this um, uh, figurine exceptionalism. <laughs> we're, we're, we're resurrecting the, um, the, the fertility ideas, customs of the ancient Israelites and or Canaanites before them. Or we're creating them. Because or we're creating them. Because yeah. again, you know, just like weird things are cultic, yes, Female figurines are probably inherently related to fertility, but um, that's overly simplistic. And, and we can't really ever know what they meant to the individual people or families or societies. Um, but we can speculate wildly, which we do very we, well. Right. And it's kind of a flip to a lot of our podcasts in which we look at the scientific level and we're looking increasingly at the microscopic level of things like metal and seeds and flora and fauna and all of these kinds of things. And we're getting you know, lots and lots of, of rich data, uh, hard data, scientific data. And this is sort of the flip side. This is, you know, semiotics at its best and worst. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. well you, you, could, you could argue that if you did some kind of super duper scientific analysis of the figurine and its all of its attributes and its excavated context in terms of seeds, in terms of biomolecular blah, blah, that you could get closer to the, to the actual use and hence the, uh, the meaning or tension behind the thing. But, but that's really, that's pretty tough. It's also no fun. It's no and, fun. 
Um, I don't even know if it's accurate. So let's each look around our, our locations right now. I see in, in my own digs all sorts of little figurines that, that have been purchased and given and at one point represented something that my kids made figurines and they're all over my house. Right. And they all have odd kinds of meanings that kind of, I think, um, don't lend themselves well to a rigorous typological analysis. Right. And a bunch of them are actually near plants. And so, and so <laughs> if, you, if you looked at the relationship of, of you know, succulent leaves to metal figurines in my house, I would come up with some kind of you know, weird thing other than the fact that, yeah, they're both, they're all on shelves. <laughs> yeah, no, there'd be some, some um, very carefully analyzed association between the types of plants that belong next to types of figurines. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Shelves, that's, that's simply the, you know, the, the, the hierarchy towards the next, right. the next level. And right, uh, right. That's you know, they're, reaching, they're reaching up towards the gods. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But do you, can you say the same thing when you look around? Are you seeing figurines and things like that in your own? Yeah, like, uh, well, yeah. This, actually. Um, hmm. All this sorts. sits on my desk. Our audience can't see it. Yeah, I know, but it's, you know, it's something that uh, our daughter made. It's a picture of me with a giant mustache. And it's, <laughs> and it's actually presentations. <laughs> so, right. Well, to, to kind of continue the analogy, but jump away from the nude female figurines for a second, the Iron Age horse and rider figurines that are kind of concentrated in Jerusalem, you know, obviously everybody says religious significance. They could be, they could be toys. They could be, you know, things that young boys um, or girls. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Anyway. Don't be gendering. You're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> uh, and I mentioned those because, you know, nude females are more obviously fertility related than, than horse and riders. Maybe those are what the young boys are playing with. Right. Or okay. what, the, or what the, the girls are, are playing with. And it's some kind of, you, you're going to grow up and look like this, aren't you? <laughs> it's a, or, um, right. I, I, you know, the, the, the pillar figurines with, where, where they're holding, the, the woman is holding, you know, enormous breasts. Um, and they have no legs. What, what's up with that? Right. Why, why don't they have legs? They can't escape. Are they trees? Are they just, you know, these things lend themselves to wild. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I've always had a theory about those that I, well, that I'll, that I didn't publish when I wrote something short about figurines of the bronze age, Ooh. but, but um, I've always, it's kind of an interrelated theory that that the at various points various figurines represent different stages of fertility like a society is more concerned with one stage of fertility like pregnancy or like childbirth or like recovery after childbirth which is what i did publish about or concerned with nursing so these figurines have always struck me as representing a society that is or, or the women of the society are worried about being able to keep their child alive, maybe because um, of drought conditions and they're not being able to produce enough milk, who knows why, or maybe just in general, because you don't really have a choice unless you're an elite who can afford a, a um, what's it called, a, a wet nurse. Um, 
you got to be able to feed your child. So right. I've always thought that maybe it's a societal concentration on uh, the the nursing stage of fertility. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's good. That's nice. That's good. But but that would also imply that it was women who were producing these things for other women. Yes, I kind of have liked that idea. That's that's not bad. Yeah. Um, of course, the other thing is in these kinds of um, figurines that are found that are very, very similar, um, that there are production aims, you know, that there are market influences. Right. About, that everyone sort of wants, wants the same thing. Um, right. Or, or the similar kinds of things. And uh, that's, that's okay too, because they're, they're, even if they're being mass produced, you know, people are interested in Right. Women are interested in having these things. Exactly. Right. Like this is this is the focal point of uh, of the whole birthing process or the whole pro procreation process. Right. And, uh, this is the one that we want because this is you know the the most uh, difficult part of the whole thing is getting you know having a baby and then nursing it into um, you know survival. Survival. Right? right. Nursing it to health. Right. But the actual depiction of of the birth doesn't seem to have been a big, a <laughs> big, big seller. Big seller, <laughs> and um, uh, you know, and even if we even if we regard these things as kind of instructional, instructional or or um, apotropaic. <laughs> Take a drink. <laughs> I know where's my bottle. It's uh, it, it it implies that either everybody knew. Everybody who, who needed to know knew, or that it, there was some kind of you just don't show that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right, and and, and that's uh, one of the jumping off points for all of this discussion uh, was an article um, in uh, in Haaretz, right? It was Haaretz. Yeah. About um, the enigma of nude female figurines and birthing figurines, juxtaposing what's found in in uh, ancient Israel with Cyprus. And of course that raises kind of another issue because Cypriot traditions in, in clay are always very, very wild stuff. Yeah. They're, you know, Cypriot pottery is crazy from the get-go. Yeah. And Cypriot figurine traditions are just much more elaborate. The level of zoomorphic kinds of images in Cypriot, you know, uh, clay, tr uh, ceramic traditions is, is crazy. Um, and so the distinction might be the kinds of things happening on Cyprus, the kinds of imagery used on Cyprus is just of a whole different order because of the kinds of things that we've been talking about for years about the island, you know, island societies that, you know, everyone's trapped on this little island. It's a ship in a bottle and things develop, you know, like, a, like in a terrarium, <laughs> all sorts yeah. of crazy wild growths. Whereas in, you know, terrestrial land-based non-island societies, things uh, are much more affected by cultural diffusion and uh, I don't know, seem, seem, seemably more staid than yeah. what you see. There's um, more give and take. Yeah, which which transfers ideas, but also levels out some of the 
some of the crazier stuff. Right. I'm not, I'm not buying that figurine. What, what are you thinking? Yeah. What are kind you of crazy? Thinking? Right. And, and Cyprus is, I mean, that's one of the great and exciting things about the archaeology of Cyprus is that there's just crazy stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and you see it. Uh, and they don't try to hide it at all. Right. It's right. just all out, out there. There's right. no shame. Right. Yeah. But that, that also goes back, in my mind, to, to uh, the, the Neolithic. Mm -hmm. And all these societies are producing, uh, all over the Near East, are producing crazy, crazy figurines. Right. Um, not least of all, seated or kind of semi-seated female figurines uh, who have very large everything. Right. And these are big gals. And uh, the craziest being, I think, Chatel Huyuk, right? She's sitting on the throne. She's got like a panther and a, and a bear on her side, and she may be giving birth. And she's a you know very large individual, right. and like, what yeah. the what? Right. And, right. In these in these you know Neolithic periods, yeah, and even they're building these enormous pillars and they're carving crazy stuff on it, right? And, Here's a here's a raptor and it's it's you know it's eating a pig and uh, and their arms coming out right. Um, well, but but it's almost I mean both with the crazy cypress stuff and with crazy prehistoric stuff it's almost too easy to do wild speculation right. And the interesting thing about about Canaan Israel is is. Um, it's we have wild speculation with a tiny, tiny corpus of only a few different types. Right, right. But it's also, it's, so that makes it harder, right? Which of course makes it more intriguing. But, um, but also, um, you know, for the Iron Age, we like to make associations with the biblical world and with Judaism and Christianity that later on came, came out of it. And so I think we're, we're, I don't know if we're putting the overlay of our thoughts about relationships of ancient to modern on top of it, or if we're just not, uh, if, if we want to see the biblical world as less wild and crazy, um, or maybe it really was less wild and crazy. I'm not sure. No, where but, I'm going uh, this. but we have to admit that in the tradition of biblical archeology, span the, the interpretive tradition and the community are not a bunch of wild and crazy guys. And, and, and We've talked and they about are guys. This is the yes. important, important. That's the other thing. thing. Absolutely. Until, until quite recently, they were all almost all guys. Right. And I don't think that they were. I don't know about their personal. Well, know a little bit about their personal lives. <laughs> about which the less said, the better. But outwardly, they're a bunch of staid, buttoned-down. Exactly. Well. Well, they are and they aren't because there is a lot of crazy stuff in the Hebrew Bible. So they were they were turning their attention to craziness in terms of historiography and cosmology and um, you know understanding their their own essence and being in society. But there is a lot of crazy stuff in there. Right, and they were and they were also many of them were good um, comparative Near Eastern scholars. Yeah. Right. Um, who, who knew the the corpus of texts and and uh, images, so to speak, from other other regions, and didn't but, even have to learn German to know that. <laughs> well, they all they were all born knowing German. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but I think the point you're getting at is is or 
I'll get to this point anyway, is they didn't, they knew a lot about Near Eastern culture, um, but they didn't know a lot about women. Okay? Right. And they are, and this has always been something that I've, I've noted that, um, you know, they're speculating, they're all married um, and without going too much into the, the private lives, um, they're, they're all married and presumably they all have mothers and sisters and this is all they know about women. And most of the women's issues are kind of hidden from them, right? right? Fertility issues are hidden mm -hmm. from them. You know, men are not accompanying their women into, their, their wives rather, into, into the um, birthing room in the hospital. And- uh, No matter how many wives they have. I was going to say, probably not always their wives. Right. I mean, you know, concubines being what they were, you know, we know from Solomon. Well, right. I mean, yeah, both in terms of ancient um, male text writers and in terms of modern Near Eastern scholars. Yeah. They didn't know much about women um, and women's needs and fertility issues. And, you know, as far as a lot of people were concerned, oh, you know, Oh, this baby, here it is. That's nice. <laughs> Let's do it again. Right. They're out there in the so so what, what what we're proposing, among other things, is that the, the Iron Age father is is out there in the waiting room smoking a cigar, pacing back and forth, and the midwives are bustling around, and then somebody comes out and says, It's a son. And he hands out cigars. Right. Uh, or or you know, he's handing out uh doobies. I mean, we have better evidence for, you know, smoking cannabis than we do for smoking tobacco. Well, I, I think too. we have to say that they're sitting around smoking big spleefs. Right. <laughs> no, I, I was actually proposing that the, that the early 20th century um, and even mid 20th century scholarship on, on uh, fertility and fertility figurines uh, was done by people who knew nothing about the processes and couldn't right. put themselves into the mindset of an ancient woman who might like to hold this fertility figurine as she's giving birth as a apotropaic device to, uh, <laughs> to, to make sure everything went smoothly. Right, and I, and I think you can actually root that very clearly in the fact that if any group of people knew less about women than 20th century biblical archeologists who all came from a clerical background, I mean, you couldn't find a group that was less attentive and understanding of what it meant to be a woman. I would, I would surmise. Right. Despite um, serial marriages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think actually because of serial marriages, <laughs> because of their it's notion of what this all meant. Distinguishing <laughs> cause and effect. Right. It's always, it's always difficult. So, so what we're, so what we're, are we sort of saying that in the Neolithic writ large and in island societies like Cyprus, these kinds of closed, hard to get to environments that um, uh, type typologies were not rigid, were not clear cut, that there was a, a higher degree of creativity as they started to sort of figure out the taxonomy of, of figurine style, et cetera, and that by the time we get to, I would say late bronze, I would say bronze and Iron Age, certainly middle bronze through Iron Age, Southern Levant, where you're beginning to get traditions of, of exceptional creativity and historiography and, uh, you know, social articulation through writing that uh, the level of creativity and open-endedness of figuring creation was 
was stunted. That's reasonable. <laughs> but once, you write, once you write stuff down, you don't have to, you know, show it. Well, that's true. I mean, once you write stuff down, then you then you've created then you've created types, and 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 thus history and history embraces that. History embraces the realia of the written word in the creation of types. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like you've I feel like you've created a type there, and we have to go along with it now because it's historical category. I, I have, and um, yeah. Speaking of types, let's go back to types of figurines. Okay. I want to talk about the late the the largely late Bronze Age into the early Iron Age plaque figurines. Okay. Um, which are also nude women, who are probably um, depicted as lying on a bed, uh, lying on a platform. Um, that's what the original research as well as more recent research more or less concludes. And not all scholars, but some scholars, some of us think that um, these are human women, not divine women. They're not wearing Hathor headdresses. Um, they come largely from domestic contexts and funerary contexts. And, um, you know, I, I'd like to think that, and here's, here's the part that I once upon a time wrote about, um, that these are figurines depicting women who have just given birth and who are recuperating from given birth. That's, I, I'm not sure I 100% agree with myself, but that's what I put into print um, a while ago. <laughs> um, and um, and uh, it, it represents a different phase of fertility than, oh, let's say the breastfeeding phase of the, of the Iron Age. Um, mm -hmm. Well, but what, what, what's being represented? Uh, what's the didactic? Well, I'm so glad you asked. After you give birth, you're, you're going to be lying there like a shmata for a while. So if you go to the Hebrew Bible, and of course, I don't have anything open in front of me, um, but a woman is considered impure for a certain number of days after giving birth. And it's a shorter number of days if you give birth to a boy than it is if you give birth to a girl. I mean, obviously, because boys are more important, right? So, um, but, but there is this concentration on the time after giving birth. And while it's in the Bible, it's put into, into religious purity terms, um, you know, so the, the husband should not be with his wife while she is impure. That actually gives the woman a long time to recuperate from the birth before her husband. Well, where's the baby? How come what? the baby's not depicted? The, the how come there are no figurines just of babies? Ah, uh, yes, mm. and this gets, to the, this gets to the issue of children. In the, mm -hmm. in the ancient world, at yeah. least in the Bronze and Iron Ages. Were, were there actually children? <laughs> <laughs> the only evidence for children we have are being are figurines where they're kind of attached to their mother and right. their bronze. Because <laughs> we and don't die. In Egypt, we have children. Right. In the Amarna period, we have the children represented in the family of Akhenaten. Right. And they look like miniature adults. Right. And they're, and they're very unusual. They're right. They're, Upper class children are always prancing. Right. We also, we also have Pepe the second sitting on his mother's lap. Yeah. It is kind of interesting that at, um, you know, there's so much emphasis on the household unit in the iron age, you know, things like the bait of and the household unit and, and the family and the family and the family. Yeah. And um, we know that, Producing figurines is not all that that difficult if you if that's what you want to do. 
um, you know, they might not be of the highest quality, but they can certainly be easily rendered at the household level. And so why don't we have more sort of vernacular, why don't we have a, a tradition of vernacular figurines, especially of babies and children, being as clearly they were of great importance and great value. And, uh, you know, it's the whole essence of the society to, to procreate and to fulfill, you know, Yahweh's commands and also to, you know, continue the, the growth of the society. Um, so why, why not more child, why not any child figurines? It is kind of an interesting, I guess there is a real interesting, you know, uh, intellectual kernel right there. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, as soon as a child can like walk and talk, they can be helping with the, you know, I don't know, farming yes. activities or domestic yes. activities. And, and I, mean, I mean, we've also, we also know that there's no concept of childhood. Right, people have been saying that for a long time. There's no concept of childhood, um, which doesn't stop children from playing in their free time. But um, but the adults didn't think. Right. Well, the, I mean, the concept of childhood goes in and out over the over the eons, and that you know, children are sometimes in places children are little adults, and sometimes they're basically little work animals, and uh, and I guess there's also the prohibition of idolatry, even though there's lots and lots of figurines. So clearly the creation of figurines fits well into the biblical notions of um, prohibitions of idolatry. This kind of figurine, let's say the pillar figure, female pillar figurines, that was clearly allowed. You know, that clearly didn't break any rules. Um, and there are thousands of them. Right, and in the late bronze age, they didn't have those kinds of rules. Um, and in the late bronze age, we. We, we do have a pretty, you know, a pretty narrow band of kinds of figurines. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not that they're, it's not that they're allowed per se. It's that, you know, Yahweh doesn't really help women. He's not a God ah. that pays attention to women's concerns. So this is the folk religion aspect. Ah, right. right. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, but, but why, but why no? Why no children? You have you actually have figurines of animals, right? Um, in in all basically all periods, all places, you know, right. size and whatnot, but right. or, or realistic, but but children who were um, actually you know bipedal work animals <laughs> um, who you know with with fine motor skills, you don't have any. Right, and actually that's kind of an interesting observation because yes, we do get figurines of animals, but we don't get the full range of animals with which the society was fully hmm. understanding and, and uh, you know, conversant in. We get a lot of donkeys. Right. <laughs> and we know donkeys are important, um, but we don't get, you know, we don't get figurines of fowls. We don't get figurines of fish all by and large. Well, uh, you have a few, you have a few specialized vessels. Yeah. Right. right. I can think of a fish. I think we can all think right. of exactly. I, Right, exactly. Right, I know. <laughs> As I was saying that, I was like, oh, but there's a fish here. Right. right. There's always a couple of odd things, especially on Kernoy, which, yeah. of course, the Kernoy itself has a sort of, you know, Aegean, Cypriot I was just gonna say know, kind of side angle to it. Yeah. Um, so they get to play fast and loose with some of their own rules. But, um, but we still don't get a wide range of yeah of mammals or anything you know it's true it's like a lot of quadrupeds that <laughs> are more or less 
equids of some sort. Right. Um, Things that are animals that, that are used for dragging and for carrying. Right. You um, think we get some camels and some cows. And right, some dragging and carrying. Right, exactly. So in other words, they're making matchbox cars. <laughs> yeah, but no, but no dogs. No right. dogs. Can you think of any dogs? I can't think of any dogs. And dogs, as we know, are man's best friend. <laughs> it's a coined right. phrase. And, um, and have been around since the Neolithic. And, uh, and there are dogs everywhere, but no dogs. Right, no dogs and, and no things, no kinds of exotica that do show up in the Hebrew Bible and elsewhere. And we know we're probably of interest, things like foxes. Um, and um, Except in the Neolithic. Right. When, well, right. you have depictions of them. And right, exactly. And right, and that goes back to exactly what you said earlier, right? The Neolithic. So showing all of nature. Yes. At, at work, all the wacky interactions and the, Right. And the fish and the fly and the flying beasts and the this and the that and right. to fit their place their them the humans into this kind of wacky situation. Whereas by the Iron Age, it's like, yep, <laughs> this is what you're gonna look like when you're pregnant. Right. This is what you look like when you're after you're pregnant. This is how you, you this is what you're gonna look like when you're nursing. That's all you need to know. Right. To, right. And this is a, and this is a donkey. It's for. <laughs> you on it, or you, or you pull things with it. Right. If you want to go anywhere, you're going to get one of these. Right. So I'll I'll throw out two completely opposite theories. Okay, about no no children being depicted. Um, the first one is you don't want to depict the children because you're somehow superstitious about it. Puh, puh, puh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So so you don't want to depict them just in case, or you don't want to depict them because the same as you don't depict the whole the whole plethora of animals that we've just recited that don't get depicted because maybe they're just not worth depicting. Maybe they're not your most important matchbox cars. So you just don't even bother with them. Right. So. Well, let me ask a silly question. Are there are there figurines of men in the in the Iron Age? Um, well, you have those ceramic sort of sculptures from um, Amon, right? Those kings. Those kings. Okay. Oh, those right. Kings. So they're kingly. that sort of look like Ferengi. <laughs> and they're and they're the the riders on the horses. Right. They're the riders uh, on the horses. Right. Right. Those are the men. Ones and the ones in Jerusalem. Yes. But are there just men standing around looking manly? Um, <laughs> you have women. You have women depicted doing. And let me put this <laughs> delicately as I can. I, I just watch yourself right now. Let's <laughs> things that things that women are typically associated with, like you know, nursing. Whereas the things that men are associated with, like I don't know, digging holes <laughs> or or fighting other men, you don't you don't really have any figurines like that in the Iron Age. Was it because it's just too naturalized? Too well, too commonplace. You don't have to be instructed in that, do you? Well, there, I think there's a couple responses. My immediate response is that the role of men in in culture writ large has is not um, a visual element, but a written element. Mm, that's good. So as you have the biblical authors, you know, 
composing and editing out the wazoo, right? They're spending so much energy collecting, composing, compiling, and then incredible amounts of energy editing. Right. That's, that's the domain of, the, of men. Yes. Um, so it's a media thing. Women in choroplast or animals in choroplast and men in literature. Okay, yeah. but what about yeah, that's, an old that's good, and that goes along with w women in folk religion right. and men in standard religion. Very, that's all very nice. It's all very pat. <laughs> what about the Bronze Age when nobody, nobody could put two two glyphs together? Right. Um, um, with the, the men are the well, men okay. engaged in their oral tradition. Or, well, let me let me respond to that for the Bronze Age and especially let's say the Middle and Late Bronze Ages. In imperial societies, in the, in the great societies of Egypt and Mesopotamia, um, or the imperial societies, men are heavily represented in reliefs. Right, sure. Right. And in Canaan, where there's no tradition of reliefs, uh, uh, but there is some nominal aspiration by dynasts to be of the Mesopotamian and Egyptian kind of elite, nope. um, they're, they're just... They're just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use my French here, but they're just, you know, they're sort of shit out of luck. <laughs> um, they, they don't have the, the means of expressing themselves in art because right. they're not making, they're not carving elaborate reliefs. They don't have sumptuous mortuary traditions to embellish. They're, they're people who, who could get no relief. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, but, uh, but you point to, to Egyptians and Mesopotamians, and yes, that, that's true, but that's all, that's all very much class-based. And in the, in the Mesopotamian tradition, it's, it's, it's only kings and their, and their retainers and, uh, and that are being depicted, uh, that, are, that are manufacturing these images. Whereas in Egypt, it's a, it, it permeates down to, I don't know, the, the upper middle class. So, you know, it's kind of a bourgeois aspirational thing to show that you have, you know, also in figurines, this is my estate. These are my retainers who are making beer for me for the next life. Here we're, we're, we're hunting crocodiles with my, with my family, this, this kind of thing. But in, in the Levant as a whole, really from, you know, the border of Egypt up to the, the Euphrates say, you got, you got nothing. And how, you know, you have, you have figurine traditions in, in Syria that are different from Levantine figurine traditions. Okay. And you have, and you have, you know, monumental sculpture in Syria and you right. have some places you have relief, reliefs. Right. But what you don't have. More in the Mesopotamian or Hittite tradition than in the Canaanite. Right. right. Exactly. But, but what you don't have in most of the Bronze Age and in the Iron Age is our depictions in figurines of men just being men. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you like to see as a, as a male figurine? Oh, I don't know. Just like you're out there with your fishing rod. It's okay. Like Andy with Opie teaching, right. your, teaching your kid, this is how you fish, son. Or this is how you, this is how you dig a hole in the in the dust right. or, the, or the mud, and you, you don't have any of that. I don't, I'd um, like to see toy soldiers. 
We don't have any of that either. Right. So there's some, so there's some kind of uh, cognitive framework that exists, but we don't seem to have the capacity to decode it. Yeah, yeah. We, need some, we need some men's liberation. In, uh... Well, I was afraid that you were going to ultimately say that. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna come back to the fact that, um, you know, procreation was kind of the whole point. Yeah. And this sort of goes above any other societal need. And this is what the women who felt responsible for, for doing it right uh, needed to, to uh, use magic or any other means to bring it about. Right. So I think right. I, it's more, it's not, it's, it's not that we're, let me rephrase that. We shouldn't expect to find men's concerns depicted in right. art yeah. because women's Never. concerns were much more important. They're interchangeable, they're replaceable, and almost nothing that they do is magical. Right, and, <laughs> and I think that there's a bifurcation in society in which you have a very small number of elite males who have plenty of methods of representing themselves and doing stuff and feeling good about themselves. And then you have this huge level of, you know, the Ralph Cramdens, and they got nothing. Not only that, they can't procreate. So right, they become drones. Right. And are, and are not even depicted as drones. They're just absent from, uh, but they do, you know, in, well, I won't, I won't yeah, I, I won't push, push that any further. Right, right. Well, it's also value in society, which I think is what you're getting at too, that, that men, if they can't procreate with this one woman, maybe they can try with another wife or with a concubine. And women basically are just out of luck if they're not having a baby within their, their marriage. So the pressure is really on for them to, by any means necessary, make sure this whole birthing thing and survival of the baby works. So basically Bronze and Iron Age society anticipates the Handmaiden's Tale. Yeah, which I haven't read or seen, but yeah. <laughs> well, the book is wonderful. The, the series is brutal. Okay, see, I, I can't do brutal. I need yeah. escapism. Um, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and that's, that's just presentism. <laughs> well, right. But, but I mean, we do presentism all the time. You were talking about, you know, smoking cigars and waiting for the, <laughs> waiting for the midwives. Yeah, you, correct, right. you correctly changed that to smoking the spleefs that we do have evidence for. Right. But that's just, that's just changing the uh, vernacular from, you know, the, from, from Mad Men to Bob Marley. <laughs> it's nothing more than that. Right. It's, it's an ethnographic analogy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with presentism because really we're all human and we were human a couple thousand years ago too and biological needs and procreation hasn't changed much until you know the technology of the 20th and 21st centuries. So, um, Also, we're incapable of escaping it, I think. Well, that's true too. Yeah. I mean, until the time machines are, are made. I was just going to say, how would we fare if we were thrown back in time to about 1100 or 1000 BC? What, I would just my nerds like us? <laughs> I, I think we'd be shocked at how wrong we are. But probably true. I, I think we would really be shocked at how wrong we are. And I think even now, with just sort of the tip of the iceberg being exposed, with all of this science and archaeology giving us some uh, a perceived sense of greater reality, I still think we'd be shocked. 
Yeah, I'm not sure that the science was going to change, you know, just because we know where clay originates, they didn't know where their clay was originating, you know, et cetera. They, they didn't quite, you know, the people who were using the end product didn't know the origins of things as much as we know them. So well, it, it, didn't make, it didn't make much difference to them whether, you know, it was Eocene <laughs> Renzina or something, but they knew exactly where everything was. Right. And they knew what they wanted. And they knew uh, yeah. what they wanted, they knew what they needed, and they were they knew when things were out of whack in some way. Right. right. At a far, far greater level of, of perception than you know if feed, feed bobos like us. Sure. <laughs> I mean we freak out if we can't get, you know, Bomemon peach jam at, at Whole Foods. <laughs> what the hell is going on here? <laughs> the global supply chain has broken down. Exactly. Because my big jam is not available. Exactly. Crisis. Right. Yeah. Right. And and the and what would be the worst crisis of all? Your wife can't get pregnant, or you, the woman, can't get pregnant, or you're there's some kind of complication right. in the pregnancy, right. or the the birth goes badly. The, what could possibly be worse than that, except like Assyrians coming down and actually killing you all? Right, and that's the same today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's no difference with today. People who can't get pregnant, this is a huge crisis, and it is a crisis. Exactly, exactly. And it forces and you to re-examine your life, and it forces you to, um, you know, rethink everything. Right, right. And if you want to, if you if you want to be accepted, not only that, but if you want to be accepted in society in ancient terms and really in modern terms too, you need to be a wife and mother. Um, otherwise, you don't have that role that everybody around you has. And you know, as much as we would like to say we evolved past that in modern society, I think for the vast amount of human women worldwide, um, that's still the case. So. Well, I think for the vast amount of human women, it's it's a kind of necessity because they are enmeshed in in not only societal but economic kinds of structures where you need yeah. children right um it's really only a, a narrow stratum of you know highly refined western women who can somehow break out of these cycles right um economically technologically um socially and so on right uh, all right so we want to have uh final comments smoke them if you got them <laughs> that's what our father said in the waiting room I, I guess my, my father right. apparently was there when when i was born in the delivery room oh wow that's that unusual. unusual for the <laughs> for the 14th century. <laughs> well, I'll, I guess I'll throw in there that um, I wasn't, for many years, I wasn't the least bit interested in um, women's issues in antiquity and archaeology until I got interested in having babies of my own. And mm -hmm. then uh, I was suddenly interested in, in these fertility issues. And, um, and I think it's, you know, Again, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Um, so we're only human, right? That's a good final line. Probably <laughs> <laughs> a good place to stop right there. Okay, let's let's wrap it up. Okay. 
Well, if nothing else, we appear to have cleared up the age-old question of where babies come from. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator-in-residence at the Savannah Music Festival for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Monongahela Steel Ingots. Remember their slogan, Casting Steel Ingots, with the housewife in mind. To get in touch, leave us a comment, send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.